Welcome to Southern Fried Fantasy, a podcast for readers and writers, where Southern authors talk about books set in the region they call home. Book lovers beware, your TBR pile is about to get taller than high cotton. All right. Uh, welcome back to another episode of Southern Fried Fantasy. I am super excited uh, to let y'all know that this episode, I am here with Alexander Nader. Uh, when to, to tell a brief aside, uh, if you heard my interview with Ben Meeks, I talked about how he was one of the first uh, people I encountered uh, that was writing kind of similar, you know, Southern urban fantasy type stuff. And Alexander was the second. So uh, in my head, we're, we're the, we're the three amigos of Southern Fried Fantasy. <laughs> so, uh, all right, Alexander, why don't you take a moment, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what ties you to the South. Sure. So uh, I write under Alexander Nader, uh, but I go by Alex for all intents and purposes. I just, uh, when I first started writing, uh, I was writing these books about demons when there were a lot of uh, kind of very popular uh, romance authors that were also writing books about demons. And I wanted someone to look at my name and know that I was a guy uh, because it was obviously a slightly different take on demons than some of the, the spicier stuff that was going around. So uh, I write under Alexander, but I go by Alex because it's way easier. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I write. <laughs> um, I've got a couple series. Uh, one is set in the real place, which is where I live in Knoxville, Tennessee. And uh, that's about a demon hunter. And then I have a second series, which is the Mountain City Chronicles, which is in the fictional mountain city. Uh, but it's also very set up, very familiar to this area. I just kind of wanted the freedom of making things up a little more as I went along than basing it off a real city. Yeah. I ha- so I, I have read some of your uh, burden books, but I, I have Necrotown, which is the first uh, book in your other series, but I haven't read it yet. Um, but I'm really excited to, because uh, for those who haven't had the pleasure of reading Alex, uh, the bulk of his work is very uh, like crime noir, uh, really harkens back to those old, you know, like hardball detectives, uh, but like updated to the modern day and, you know, demons. So super cool. And uh, one of my favorite authors is a guy named Glenn Cook, and he writes a series uh, like a fantasy hardball detective series called the Garrett PI series that I've always loved. So I'm really excited to dig into the, the, the mountain series because I think it's going to scratch like a lot of my itches. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so if, if I remember correctly, you're not actually from the South. You, you live in Tennessee now, but you're from Michigan. Uh, yeah, so uh, I was born in Detroit. Um, my parents, I don't think, wanted to raise a kid in Detroit. So, like, shortly after I was born, they moved me to northern Indiana. Uh, and I lived there uh, 
proud Hoosier, I guess, yeah. <laughs> until I was uh, 10. And then we moved down here to uh, Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. And I was born in the North, but I feel like I grew up in the South. You know, those really like formative years for me of like ages 10 to 16 or something. Yeah. Um, so I feel like I like this is my home. I'm, I've been here for, you know, 20 something years now. Um, and it's just always like I, I'm happy to be here. Like my parents have actually both gone back home to Detroit and I stayed here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's me. Uh, I, I've been uh, I've been to Detroit once, mostly just kind of passed through more than I uh, didn't really uh, stop. But I have I have traveled a little bit kind of through that that region. Um, and it, it is gorgeous. Like, I'm not going to say like necessarily Detroit's gorgeous, but the state of Michigan is uh, has some really just gorgeous scenery. But I don't I don't think it has anything that really compares with uh, like the Tennessee mountains. Like, right. Uh, I, my great uncle uh, lived in Morristown, Tennessee, which is near Pigeon Forge. So every yeah. summer we would go up there and I've just always loved that region so much. It's just so beautiful. Yeah, it's uh, it's great. I love it here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I so I definitely understand not uh, not moving back. Also, um, it's real cold in Michigan, <laughs> <laughs> and I mean y'all get y'all get some snow, um, but nothing like they do up there. I would imagine. Uh, and so I, I living in Alabama, you know, if we get a light dusting of snow, we'd shut everything down for three days. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I imagine it's not quite as, as quite as bad in Tennessee. Uh, I think you probably get a little bit more of the best of both worlds. Uh, you get, get to play in some snow, but people actually know how to, how to deal with it. Oh um, God, no, not at all. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Oh, well that, that's reassuring. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, if they they will call schools out here for the forecast of snow, like it won't even be snowing and they'll be like, oh, yep, uh, it's going to snow tomorrow. There's a flurry expected uh, schools out and then the whole county. <laughs> Love it. Love it. We actually so we if we on the rare occasion that we do get snow, you know, of course, we like I said, we shut everything down for for days. Um, but for us, it's much more like we're we're, you know tornado alley basically down here and so we actually just had uh uh we just had some school closures because hey you know tornadoes are coming guys let's let's send everyone home (laughs) (laughs) so between i know y'all get y'all y'all you get your fair share of tornadoes up there but between snow and tornadoes i think i'd much rather have snow (laughs) yeah for sure but that said, like there's so so many mountains, and like down here, you, like where I live, there there are no mountains. Um, and so, I mean, we have some some hills that y'all probably wouldn't even describe as such. And like you know, when it gets a little icy, that's fairly dangerous. I can only imagine like having to drive down the side of a mountain with like icy bridges and stuff like that. I would just stay home. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, for the most part, that's what everyone here, or most people with sense here do. Um, yeah. For the longest time, I worked in the service industry in Pigeon Forge, which, like, if you live in Sevier County, Tennessee, which is Pigeon Forge, Gatlinburg, and Sevierville, is, like, all 
like all hail the mighty tourist dollar. And yeah. if you work here, you are serving tourists in some way, whether it be retail, food, or hotel. And yeah, um, I did that for like 15 years and there's no uh like no calling in in the service industry it's like oh there's snow like well cool your shift starts in an hour you better get to driving <laughs> yeah oh wow uh-huh. I, oof oof that sounds <laughs> sounds like hell <laughs> i work yeah. uh i work service industry through college and uh in a in a fairly small you know alabama town uh troy uh i can only imagine like, I mean, tourists are just the worst. I say this as a tourist, like we're, we're just the worst and having to do food service in a tourist town, like dear God, <laughs> I, I, I feel for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, luckily I got out of it. I, I was lucky enough to score a job at a bank. Um, yeah. So now I have like cushy bankers schedule, but uh, I would, prefer to never go back because it's terrible in the retail industry in this yeah. town. Oh, wow. Yeah. No, it, that was like growing up. I mean, we did the whole thing. We had the, we had the season passes to Dollywood cause we'd go there a couple times and, you know, just, Oh, wow. You know, like the only time I've ever skied was in pigeon forge. Um, <laughs> And so, which I, I'm sure there's probably someone listening to this is like, that's not skiing, <laughs> <laughs> but it was for me, damn it. Uh, <laughs> and so, yeah, no, I, having been uh, one of those tourists in that area, like I, oof, I, I feel, I feel for you, <laughs> but you know, the, the counter off the trade-off is you, you know, it's, it's so like, I'm not a beach person at all. I'm pasty and fat and I don't like sand and there's sharks. So I'm not a beach person. I'm very much a mountains person. And um, that's one of my complaints about the area that I live is there are no mountains. Like, and even like, if you drive to North Alabama, you start kind of getting mountains, but they're those kind of mountains that to me seem like mountains, but the people that live in real mountains are like, no, those are just glorified Hills. So I would, I would love to live in that kind of area just for the, the natural beauty. So I'm jealous is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> so, all right. So uh, what is some, so every, I ask everyone this kind of question and I, I've loved how every time I get just a totally different answer. Um, so what is, what is an element of Southern culture that you felt was important that you wanted to work in to your books and kind of how did you go about doing that? I really like the, um, the superstition here, I guess is the, yeah, the broadest way to say it. Um, I feel like there is a kind of supernatural tension in the air in the South that is amazing and beautiful and fun to play with. And it, it ranges, you know, you can go from, you know, there are like um, Christian uh, themes that you, you can go very much down like the, the demons and kind of like the holy roller yeah. uh, mythology. But then you can go, you know, if you go uh, a little further south, you know, toward Louisiana, you have, you know, voodoo and you have, you know, mountain magic and witchcraft. And, and there are just so many different little facets of mythology here that I really love. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And you, I, 
like I know in your your demons uh, in the, your Beast of Burden series, like the Southern Demon Hunter series, it there are a wide variety of really cool different types of demons um, that I've, I've I've enjoyed as I've been reading it. Like it's not just you know oh it's demons. It's like no 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 it, this kind of demon and it does this and now we have this kind of demon and it does this and I, I've I've appreciated that about your series. Yeah, it's uh it's super fun research too, you know, like I'm uh just searching, you know, just googling like oh I need a demon of fire, fire yeah. demon. What is there? <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. No, and it I don't know, it's it it, it works well cuz you know, I just um the genres we write in can get a little tropey sometimes and uh you know, sometimes it's cool to steer into those tropes, but then uh, others, you know, it, it just gets played. And by, you know, and like I, I do this myself, like it doesn't take that much research really to make something unique. It's not like I spend, you know, 20 hours trying to research some little aspect of folklore to work into my Marsh novels, you know, okay. Um Cause you're, you're going to take it and make it your own anyway. Um, so <clears throat> the people who make the effort to kind of add that diversity, I think it really pays off. Um, so it doesn't come off as so samey as perhaps what everything else is writing. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so uh, where I want to say, where do you get your idea ideas, which is kind of a, a cliche question, but how, how I want to frame it is like, so how much on your own life do you draw upon to work that you work into your books or do you try and keep a, like a firm separation there? Uh, so for the most part, uh, I try to keep a pretty firm uh, separation, I guess. Uh, I yeah. try not to, there have been like three people who I've actually known that have shown up in one of my books, mainly because, um, they like specifically asked me, uh, yeah. I, I, I try not to base my characters on like real people for the most part. Yeah. Um, I do. I just have a novel that just came out called dirt road home, which is yes. not urban fantasy at all. Like it's, it's, I am very hesitant to use the word romance. Cause I'm over here like, Oh, I'm talking about beheading demons. <laughs> I also have a romance novel, but yeah. um, it's a very much a young adult, like finding your own home about a yeah. kid who moves from Detroit to go figure Tennessee. Right. Um, and that like, I've always called that, um, that book, my eight mile, because it's not at all a biography, but it's very much like someone who knows my life and reads that book. is like, Oh yeah, there's, there's a lot of Alex in there. Yeah. Um, that's, that's neat. Uh, I, I was going to, I definitely wanted to t- touch on uh, your new book there. Um, but I think, I think like just in granted the small sample size of people that I've dealt with that, that uh, puts you in somewhat of a minority. Most of the the authors that I talk to, they, they like, Oh, well, yeah, you know, every one of my characters is just a different aspect of me. Or they talk about how they draw on their family to build their characters and whatnot. And I think it's, it's cool that you don't do that because a, a big point of this podcast is to show that there's no, one right way to write a book 
You know, if you don't, I, I see, I've seen people before, like, you know, I just haven't had that interesting of a life. So, I mean, how could I write a book, you know, cause I, I can't draw on these cool things that a lot of people can. It's like, that just shows you don't have to, you know, you, you can, you, you don't have to work yourself into your books. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think for me personally, it's, um, I've taken a lot of media. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I don't think I've had a particularly interesting life, but I do um, take in a lot of media. And for most writers, that's reading. You know, yeah. most writers are like, oh, I read a ton. And um, I do, I do read, <laughs> um, but I don't, I don't necessarily, like I spread my media around. Like I read, I do audiobooks, I watch a ton of movies and uh, TV and try to like, think about those characters to where I'm not like, uh, I don't want to say like I'm stealing or anything, but like, yeah. you know, I, I see a character I like and I try to think like, Oh, why, why do I like that character? Or more importantly, why do I hate this character? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and trying to like pull from what the creator did to, to make that work, you know, like, Oh, that's a really cool angle. Why did it work? You know? Yeah. Or if it doesn't, you know, if you if you read a book or you see a story and you're like, I don't connect with this, like really trying to think about why don't I connect? What did what were they trying to do and why didn't it work for me? So if I want to do something similar, I can tweak that to this is how I would have done that to make it work. Right. Right. Yeah. It, it to me, it's always interesting <clears throat> what people like just taking books, for example, what they read for. So the other uh, main podcast I do, my co-host, he he's he reads books for the characters and uh, I read books for the plot. Like I want, you know, I, I want to know where this story is going and he doesn't care where the story is going as long as the characters are done well. And so it, it it's always interesting to see how, you know, there, there are books that I love that he that he hates. And it's because I'm drawing what I want out of it and what he wants out of it was done poorly. So, excuse me. Uh, And so it's one of those for, for the writers out there that are, you know, you're, you're, you can be doing the same thing. Cause that's like, you're never going to write that perfect book that appeals to everyone. Like if, if you can tell me how you do it, please, I'd like to be rich. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and so just like, like do what Alex is doing, like just pick something and watch it. And what is the thing that interests you most? If it is the characters, then really like, actually don't just watch it. Like, think about it. Like, think about the, the why's, why did they do this and how would I do it? And I, I think it'll really help kind of, kind of hone your craft. So. Yeah, for sure. Um, I kind of like carrying off that. Like, I think a big thing for me as far as enjoying a story is characters acting the way that they should. Like if a character is totally self-centered for, you know, an entire story and then, you know, the climax hinges on that character miraculously doing the right thing with nothing leading to that decision. I, that really, that's what kills a lot of stories for me. Like, well, why would that character do that? Or, you know, a character who, um, I don't know. I, I feel like a lot of times when I 
when a story doesn't connect with me, it's because a character acts out of, out of character. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes with, you know, occasionally you'll find out with like a movie or something, there's a deleted scene. You know, like I, I can't remember, but I've definitely seen like, it's like, Oh, this one deleted scene totally changes <laughs> this plot. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, I, I went to a, uh, a workshop at dragon con and there uh, it was with uh, Michael Stackpole who he, uh, he's written his own fiction, but a lot of what he wrote, he wrote uh, some of the star Wars novels and, and things like that. But he said, uh, that if he ever gets writer's block, uh, if he looks back typically three pages earlier, a character made a decision that was out of character for them, that didn't make sense. And it's his brain's way of telling him, hey, you messed up. We're, we're jamming this up until you can figure out how to fix it. And uh I have never experienced it to that degree, but I have noticed that sometimes, you know, I'll be writing something is like, this isn't clicking anymore. And right. when I go back and look, it's like, Oh, okay. Well, I, you know, it, it, it's not that the ideas weren't flowing. It's that the idea that had flowed um, didn't fit with what I was trying to do. And once I fix that, you know, we can kind of get back to normal. Right. So, um, so, you talked about, you know, the, the supernatural air down here, which I, I love that description because it definitely rings true. Um, like uh, pretty much any like family get together I've ever been at, at some point, someone's going to tell some spooky story about something, you know? Um, right. So was there any uh, like bit of Southern folklore that you have worked into your novels in some way? I guess a lot, a little bit, you know, Um, I've got, uh, it's unpublished. I'm kind of like trying to find a home for it, but um, I have one novel called Perception Holler that works in uh, a lot of like kind of mountain magic. Um, The working title of the book, the entire book was Appalachian Magic. Um, Just kind of that like uh, sort of, Wiccan almost kitchen witch kind of thing like just kind of like small small bits of magic from the mountains yeah um and I definitely like to touch a little bit on kind of some religious stuff uh when I can Uh, yeah so you know bringing in um religious supernatural stuff uh I think is kind of fun to play with oh yeah I'm I'm in the early planning stages of uh, of a book right now, um, and my lady friend, her uh, dad was a pastor, and uh, in a in a Protestant faith, to not get too specific. Um, and I asked her, I was like, did he ever do an exorcism at all?" And she just started cackling. To the the thought of her. Her dad is just the biggest sweetheart, but you know, the, the, the thought of him doing an exorcism was frankly, it was a funny mental image. Um, but you know, it's like, uh, there is that, like, I, I can remember, um, I, I come from very rural Alabama and I had a friend in high school who was, uh, pretty religious. And, uh, there was a woman in the community that was known to be a witch um and not one of those like oh you know she's just an old woman like she rode around with a bumper sticker that said my other ride is a broom 
kind of deal. So she was, she was an acknowledged witch. Um, But his youth group uh, got like organized a trip to go beat her, uh, her house with Bibles to, cause that was going to drive the, you know, their, that was like their, their backwoods exorcism to drive the evil from this house was they were going to go to her house and, and beat it with Bibles, which just imagine if you woke up one morning to find a bunch <laughs> of like 14 to 18 year old Baptists beating your house with Bibles, <laughs> like wh- what fresh hell. Um, that sounds so, like a great way to get cursed. <laughs> right. Right. So, yeah, it, I think that's something that a lot of people don't really like it with Christianity being such the predominant faith down here. It's I think a lot of people kind of gloss over the folklore elements of that, you know, and so I always really like when people dive in into the the, the like the Christian for for lack of a better term, witchcraft, basically, you know, um, if it, yeah. if if you describe some of these things and had you know, I just told everyone it was a pagan belief. They would believe you, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So, uh, I, I, I love that. So, all right. So let's, let's dive in a little bit into your writing process. Um, are you more of a plotter? Are you more of a pantser? So I started out like straight pantser, like just no plan, you know, write and see what happens. Um, the more that I write, the more I find myself plotting. Yeah. Um, but there's, it kind of depends on the novel. So I found that if I'm writing the first novel of a series, I tend to, uh, pants it more. Yeah. Um, because the characters are all new and I don't like, you know, sometimes you don't know how a character is going to react until you get them on the page and see them in action. Right. And I'm afraid with the first book of a series that um, I'm going to plot something out and then a character just is going to completely buck that. And yeah. so I, on the first book, I kind of loosely plot, um, you know, just maybe, maybe a sentence per chapter or something. Um, but then as it goes on, like the second and so on, um, I've got a, a little more to work with. I know who the characters are and I know, you know, the, the core cast. Uh, and I'll plot that a little closer just because yeah. I want to make sure that I hit all my beats. Yeah. I've got to say, uh, so I, I have the, the mysteries that I, that I write such as they are, are very, uh, for lack of a better word, petty mysteries, like, <laughs> um, very, very rarely is a life on the line. Uh, you know, and, uh, and, you know, the book of what I write ends up being like novellas. And I'm always so jealous of people like you who, who can write these full length mysteries. Cause they're like, I just have a disconnect. Like I, you know, you want me to write you a fantasy novel. Cool. I can crank that out. Lickety split, you know, a horror novel. Let's go. But a mystery, it is so, it's so much to keep track of to, to make sure you're hitting all the beats that you need to hit to make sure you're not just, you know, kind of blindsiding them with the answer, you know, and stuff like that, that I, I can't do it. Uh, anytime I've sat down to try and write uh, uh, a Howard Marsh novel, you know, like actual full length novel, it it's failed. Um, 
And so like you writing these kind of gritty crime mysteries with demons, like it, I, I can definitely see where uh, plotting would definitely be required just to keep all the details straight. Yeah, for sure. And it's uh, something that kind of, when I sit down to write the novel, I, I feel like my novels are generally either an action novel or a mystery novel. And I asked myself before I start, you know, which one is it? Is this a mystery novel or is this, you know, an adventure novel, I guess is maybe yeah. a better word. Um, and if it's a, a little more adventure then I don't mind to be a little looser with yeah. the plotting. But yeah, if it's a, you know, if there is some mystery to unravel, then, you know, you definitely want to make sure. And the hardest part for me is um, introducing the culprit throughout the novel in a way that's not obvious. I'm always paranoid, you know, because, you know, it's, it's the thing with mystery novel, you can't get to the, the reveal and it be someone who hasn't been part of the story up until this point. Right. Because then the reader's like, well, who, who's this guy? What do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm always worried that, you know, my quote unquote killer or, you know, bad guy is going to be obvious, you know, like, Oh, someone's going to pick this up on chapter four and then they're going to be pissed when they get to the end and they were right from the beginning. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. No, that that's a, that's a whole nother level of pressure that my, my, my soul can't take. <laughs> <laughs> I would, I would crumble. Uh, and so, uh, and, but that, that's also something like uh, for those of you who aren't me um, who want to do this, don't let that scare you off. Cause what I've found is like, uh, again, referencing my co-host uh, Derek from the other podcast, he is quick to figure things out. He uh, he's got a degree in English, so a lot of uh, he's just done so much research into just how stories are structured and things like that. Stuff that your average reader is never going to think about, and just because of his intense knowledge of how stories work, a lot of times he figures something out well before anyone should be able to figure it out. And you just <laughs> got to realize that some of your readers are just going to be that guy, you know, and, and don't let the fact that there are Derek's out there in the world, stop you from writing the book you want to write, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so I got to say uh, you are a, uh, a pretty prolific writer. Uh, you, you, you get books out pretty quickly. Uh, how long does it take you to get a, a book to from from the time you s- sit down to page one to about the time it hits let's say amazon but how long does that normally take you so if i'm firing on all cylinders <laughs> um yeah. uh from the word go to publish is 12 weeks ish yeah 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 that's that's probably fair <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's fantastic. (laughs) Um, And, you know, there, I feel like some people out there are going to hear that and just be like, Oh God, I could never, I could never do that. And spoiler, you probably can't, (laughs) Um, but like, don't, again, don't let that stop you. Like that's, that's the beauty of this. uh, I say the beauty of this podcast, I said very self-centeredly is, you know, everyone I've talked to, it's so different. Like me, um, you know, I can, I could write a Marsh novel in two months fairly easily uh, if I really sat down to do it. Um, 
it ends up normally being like four months and my books are on the shorter end of what most people are writing. Um, but then, you know, like Ben, uh, Ben Meeks, his, his process is a good bit longer. I'd say he, I don't know exactly. Um, I'm guessing him, it's probably close to like nine months for a book. Um, and guess what? All three of us are, have our books out there and we all sell books and it's great. You know, cause there's no wrong way to do this. Don't let someone being faster than you, you know, harsh your mellow, like write as quickly as you want to write. That's not going to stress you out. Yeah, for sure. And there's no, uh, like, uh, there's no rule that says, you know, you have to do it fast or slow or anything. Like I know people, like I don't edit as I go. Like I, my, like my brain, I have to just get the first draft out as quickly as possible. Um, but I know people that edit as they write and it takes them, you know, their first draft takes, you know, three, four, five times as long as mine does, but they've been editing as they went. So by the time they're done, their book looks, you know, very clean. Yeah. Whereas I have to go back and clean up a lot. So, yeah, you know, it just, it, it takes all types. So if, you know, if you're a, a writer listening to this, you know, don't, don't let anyone else's anything discourage you. You know, I do it with success a lot. I see people like, Oh man, look, these people are selling more books than me. That's, that's a bummer, but you know, just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, but that's the thing. If you see someone selling more books than you, um, you know, a be happy for them and B just, you know, take that as a learning opportunity. Like what are they doing? You know, yes, there's an element of luck to it, but maybe there's something that they're doing that you're not, that you could learn, you know, like uh, the best example I've had was I got to do uh, to sell books at a convention with uh, some folks and uh, they gave me this tip uh, that I had never done. I I'm not, much of a people person. So going to these conventions, you know, I, I typically just stare at people as they walk by, you know, and like long, you know, longingly, like give them the puppy eyes, please come look at my books. Um, but what they, what they were doing and what is now my new method is like basically every person that walks by just ask them like, Hey, do you like to read? And you know, they'll be quick to tell you. It's like, yes, I do. Or no, I don't. And so, but if they say yes, like, oh, well, what kind of stuff do you like to read? And they normally pause and, well, you know, I really like to read mysteries or I really like to read sci-fi. And, you know, you may not write sci-fi, you may not write mysteries, but, you know, maybe they say something that's, you know, like what you write. But, oh, well, hey, well, why don't you come by and check out my book? And I had so, my sales were so much better doing that than I had previously done you know, and it's just so simple. And it's something that seems, you know, glaringly obvious now in retrospect, but until I watched them do it, I, I had no idea. And, and so like, just things like that, like see someone doing it, selling more than you and learn how they got there. And I got to say, like, I've never met an author who wasn't quick to clue you into how they're doing things, you know? Yeah. So every, every author I know has gotten help along the way and they're always quick to pass that on. So um, always never be shy of reaching out and asking for help. So on that, um, if you had to like, think back to, to a, a, a younger Alex, he's just getting started writing. Maybe he's having some, some, 
some struggles. If you had to give some advice to someone struggling with getting into writing, what would it be? So I guess a little bit of clarification, getting into writing or getting into publishing? I guess, I guess publishing. Um, Let's, let's go that route. Okay. So um, getting into publishing, I think the, the biggest advice is just to be consistent and try to try to make a couple friends, Um, you know, other authors, like it's, when you're first starting out, it's great. You know, when you have a couple family members or friends that read your book, I'm like, oh, I really like this. But, um, you know, making some other friends that are authors, uh, I always find that, you know, when I get stuck or if I get, you know, kind of discouraged or bummed out, like it's really cool to talk to other people who are excited about telling a story. Um, and that excitement always gets me excited to tell my stories. Like it's, it's I have a, you know, a stable of three or four people that I talk to a lot and it's just really healthy for me to, Oh, Hey, how are you doing? Oh man. I, you know, I got, I had a good day. I got 2000 words today or, you know, that, um, that kind of community really can help, help you through the lows. Cause you know, there's a lot of rejection there's a lot of, a lot of down days when it comes to writing. So whatever you can find to push you through those and get to the better days um yeah. you know find that and hold on to it <laughs> yeah uh, yeah uh th- there there's probably a lot of rejection in your future and writing writing frequently is a very lonely lonely job i mean you, it's just you and your laptop or computer or notebook or whatever so having that support network to kind of pick you up dust you off a little bit like that's that is super important and it's something i've i've definitely benefited from myself so i definitely good advice. So uh, this is something that we, me and you have uh, talked about a fair bit uh, on, on Twitter. It comes up every, every few weeks. It seems like uh, we we're both really big into music. Um, okay. And so like my, my background, uh, I have a degree in music industry. And so I always love to ask uh, what music do you play when you write? Uh, so it depends on what I'm writing. Uh, I find that the more intense or the more, the more thought I have to put into a scene, um, you know, maybe it's a a very emotional scene or just, you know, some scenes are a little more draining than others. Uh, the more focus the scene requires, the less, I can deal with lyrics. Uh, So I've been doing a lot of like just lo-fi hip hop playlists. Mm, Like I'll just put that on a YouTube or um, Spotify or whatever. Um, And that helps a lot or just like hardcore, like straight up death metal because the lyrics are like, I have no idea what they're saying doesn't matter right i i don't i don't think they know what they're saying most of the time and i and i, and I love metal um so yeah no i, I definitely get that <laughs> um and um, then you know if it's a if it's a scene that i can like i don't have to focus quite so hard on then i'll do just um whatever i'm listening to that kind of feels on par for the characters whether that be some uh country i really love the band turnpike troubadours so i do a lot of writing right. to them 
um some hip-hop i really like um like aesop rock and astronautilus and guys like that are really cool yeah yeah very cool so uh a uh, hero of mine is uh, a guy named John Hartness, and he talks about how uh, no matter how quickly you write, there's no way that you can keep up with the pace that people read at. So since, you know, one author can't write all the books for everyone to read, we there's plenty of love to go around. So we should be, you know, kind of sharing, sharing and showing support. So to that end, I want to ask you two questions. One, who is your author hero? And two, who is an author you think we should be checking out that we aren't? I'd say my author hero uh, was probably um, Raymond Chandler. Yeah. Uh, he just wrote some, uh, he wrote the uh, Philip Marlowe novels, which uh, they've made movies and TV shows out of in the past. And the guy just had such a beautiful way of writing uh noir like crime fiction you know there's guys dealing with like mobsters and you know murders and all these awful people and he described them in such a beautiful way that it's something that really made me want to do that too yeah yeah um he was what he kind of you know you were talking about uh you and your your other podcast co-hosts you know one being worried about plot and one being worried about story um raymond chandler for me was actually about neither of those about voice um, yeah. I, I've read, yeah, I think he had six of the Philip Marlowe novel. Uh, yeah. The Philip Marlowe novels. And I couldn't tell you the plot of a single one of them, but I yeah. loved them all. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and author, I think that more people should be reading. Hmm. So there's a series called John dies at the end. Yeah. Is that uh David Wong? Yes, and he recently, so David Wong was a, uh, a pseudonym, and I think he's recently reverted back to his real name, which is Jason Peregrine, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> um, but the books are just batshit insane and so much fun, and it was the book that made me want to start writing in the first place. Yeah, I've, I've read John Dies at the End, but I know there's more that come after um, I haven't read those yet, but I, I will, I will get around to them eventually, but yeah, you are, you are 100% right. They are batshit crazy. Um, uh, but in like the best way possible. Yeah. So, uh, all right. So I wanted to touch on one more thing. Um, uh, I'm blanking hard on the, uh, the character, your, uh, the secretary in the burden books. Um, uh, Nora, Nora. Yes. All right. So she's got a very like rockabilly aesthetic, mm-hmm. uh, which I love. Um, I have a, a number of friends that are kind of involved in the the rockabilly subculture. And uh, I, I think just uh, one, I, I love that she is an author, you know, trying to get published in this series. And uh, I, I basically I just love everything about her character. Um, <laughs> and so, I, but I just wanted to ask what, why did you choose to have her be this uh, kind of rockabilly pinup style? Uh, like what was that because of so much of like the crime noir taking place in the forties, fifties kind of deal, or was there some other element at play here? 
Uh, yeah. So it was, I originally had this kind of very high concept for the first burden novel about like anachronism, like things out of time. Cause yeah. you know, uh, Ty, the main character has this very much like 1940s detective trench coat and he smokes and he's got a fedora and stuff. And yeah, I had these scenes set up that I wanted to kind of like highlight, you know, like his, his phone rings and he reaches for the phone on his desk and, Oh no, it's not as, you know, rotary phone on his desk. It's a cell phone. And yeah. um, uh, he goes to a, a a club or a bar and he sees you know he was supposed to see this uh this woman come out on stage that looked like a 1940s jazz singer and she gets up and starts rapping which didn't actually make it into the novel but so i really wanted to have that like you think it's 1940 oh wait no ha it's now yeah (laughs) Um, yeah so the the rockabilly aesthetic just kind of worked into that you know person out of their time yeah no, I, that that was uh, that was more just a uh, you know for my own edification question because I just like she, I, I, she's probably my favorite secondary character that I've read in a book in recent memory, and so um, she's definitely memorable. And like I, I just, oh, she's I, I weirdly like reading about struggling authors. <laughs> go figure um and so it, i don't know she, her character scratches uh a few of my itches so that was that was neat for me um all right so let's wrap up by if you would tell us where can we find you and where can we find your books uh so all of my books are on amazon uh if you search alexander nader uh it should bring up all of my stuff um you can find me on I think I'm on every social network under Alex Nader writes. Um, and I am always happy to chat with anyone and uh, give anyone a follow. So uh, if this podcast has made me seem even remotely interesting, give me a shout. <laughs> I can, I can attest. He's e- extremely friendly and approachable on social media. Um, uh I came to meet him in the uh, fans of urban fantasy Facebook group. Uh, and uh, he's always quick. I, I, you see him recommending other people's stuff and uh, always being engaging on Twitter. Uh, you can normally get some pretty decent song recommendations. I, I would argue perhaps not as good as my own, but you know, pretty close, close second. <laughs> and, uh, but all right, uh, Alex, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Um, our intention is to uh, bring people back on in the future, probably sometime next year. So we can kind of catch up, see how people are, you know, what books they've had come out since then. And so I look forward to having you on then. Yeah. I'd love to be back. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, faithful listeners, I appreciate you taking time out of your week to give us a listen. And uh, until next time, uh, y'all be good. All right. Bye. taking the time to check out another exciting episode of southern fried fantasy if you would you know the drill give us a like subscribe follow all that jazz we'll appreciate you until next time y'all
This podcast is part of the Tales by Bob network. To see all our great shows, go to talesbybob.com.